Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. Thanks for joining the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm. My co-host is Katie Vernoy. And as always, thank you for joining us. And if you could go wherever you listen to your podcast and leave us a review and a rating, it really helps us out. And today we are talking about mental load. And this was really something that I believe started with a French cartoonist complaining about her partner of doing things that don't really contribute to the house in a way. It, it's really something that empowers feminism as a concept of like all of the work that women go through as a mental load into operating not only their jobs, but their houses, their families that men don't do. And as I've looked into these cartoons, I've felt very triggered of putting my wife and my work wife into <laughs> these situations. But here to talk to us today about how this also impacts therapists, and I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, of therapists of both genders, of going through kind of a <laughs> professional mental load as well, is Shira Myro. She's a mindfulness-based marriage and family therapist from Santa Monica, California. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kurt. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. Hi, Katie. We're so excited to have you, especially because for whatever reason, having you on means that Kurt has now acknowledged the mental load that I'm carrying. <laughs> so, so hold on, before you jump into the question, that acknowledging it makes it to where we're, we're good, right? Like, Oh, no. Okay, okay. We're, we're going to have to like do couples therapy or something, Kurt. But what I am excited to to talk with you about is this mental load, but you have so much that you that you do. So please tell us who are you and what are you putting out in the world? Thank you, Katie. Yes, we'll come back to the mental load in a second. So as, as Kurt said, I'm a mindfulness-based marriage and family therapist. I'm a mindfulness educator. I'm also the founder of the mindfulness-based Yale Street Therapy Group in Santa Monica. I specialize in relationship intelligence. I treat mainly couples and marriages with a focus on rebuilding improving attachment, and teaching emotional literacy. So you're going to see where the mental load comes in here. <laughs> and uh, I also write. So I, I do a lot of things, but the focus has absolutely been on making attachment the doorway into deeper conversations about self and how we uh, interrelate to others. I did a little bit of an introduction of what mental load is. So I'm going to turn this over to you as the experts to help explain what this is and how it specifically applies to therapists. Okay, thank you. Yes, uh, Emma, the French cartoonist, really popularized this. And I wasn't that aware of it until it's really started coming into 
into my practice, especially in couples. I, I had quite a few women who had seen the cartoon start complaining about the mental load. So originally, Arlie Hothchild, the, the, the feminist intellectual, talked about this uh, some years ago. So she was the one who, who coined it. And what was interesting was it was this idea of this invisible emotional labor of managing the minutia of our daily lives and also our relationships. And that really struck a chord with me because I think as therapists, we do that as well. And part of it is that we're not, we're not as respected by professionals in the medical community because a lot of the labor that we do seems invisible. So there was a real parallel for me thinking about, yes, you know, there, there is the mental load that all of us take on in our, you know, digital saturated lives of information and, and women in particular who where who are struggling with childcare and jobs. But I think as therapists as well, Sometimes because it's our job, we don't even realize to some extent that it can be devalued and it can have negative effects on us um, in, our, in our own lives, in our own relationships, and even in the community that we work in. Why do you think that therapists have such a high mental load? I, I mean, I think about for myself, like compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma or those kinds of things that I that feel very familiar, but with this idea that therapists are carrying the mental load for their clients. I hadn't really put it there. So maybe dig in a little bit deeper to that aspect of the, the concept. You know, I would say that um, I don't think we're, we're aware because we're trained, right? It's what we yeah. do. <laughs> so we don't realize maybe until at the very end of a day. And for me dealing, let's say with a high conflict couple or a series of them yeah. you get home from your day and you're really wiped out, you've got no more bandwidth to deal with. <laughs> Even small things, the kids bickering, or you don't even have the energy to fight over what Netflix show you're watching. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, it's anything is fine. I you can't. I just can't. And so I think you've had this a lot on your show about self-care. How do, how do therapists really take care of themselves? Because it's complex being business owners and feeling in charge of a, a lot of patients and clients who have a lot of material, especially if you're doing trauma work or let's say couples therapy can really be exhausting. And so, you know, I just uh, completed uh, uh, the Gottman training with uh, Julie and John Gottman and they were saying there's a huge burnout statistic for, for couples therapists in particular because it, it really starts to wear you down where th there's that thin line between witnessing and containing and holding space for something to happen. And oftentimes in couples work, it's a lot more intervention oriented. You know, it's, there's a lot of energy in the room that you have to contain. So I think from, from my own experience, yeah, you, you end up absorbing a lot, whether you realize it or not, physiologically, but, but also mentally. And so back to the fatigue piece, I think it's really important to be really intentional about disconnecting from from that. But even if you disconnect at the end of the day, which I do, I have a little ritual in my garage when I come, <laughs> where I come in where I sort of separate that line. Like I'm not bringing that into my home space. I'm not bringing that to my kids. I'm not bringing that to my husband. But I have this awareness more and more that it's still in my body. Like I've still absorbed a great deal of information and emotional intensity. And you, we all do as therapists. And that's harder to get rid of. It's not just a question of putting your phone in the kitchen. <laughs> you know? it's, it's not just unplugging. It's actually taking care of your body is what you're saying. 
I hadn't thought about it that way because I think for me, I recognize first off the mental load I'm carrying for Kurt, of course. Um, But also for my clients, I know that there's times when I carry them with me, when I'm, I'm really looking at how do I I manage the relationship in the room. And I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it because I'm not as, as keyed into that aspect of the work. What do you do with that now that you're noticing that it's still kind of staying in your body? Like, how do you get rid of that? Because to me, it's it's something where I know that I've done too much when I start feeling physically sick. I'm, you know, I'm not working out as frequently, like I'm, I'm falling into bad patterns and that kind of stuff. So I, I can see the end result, but from a preventative angle or even, even a kind of in the moment kind of intervention angle, like what would you recommend? Well, I'm going to sound biased here, but I think this is where mindfulness practice really comes into play. Even if you're not a meditator and mm-hmm. you don't do it 20 minutes a day, you don't have to. I actually think you can start with mindfulness practice. And a basic definition for mindfulness practice is being aware of what's arising in your experience, thoughts, feelings, and bodily sensations from a compassionate non-judgmental place and having that sort of compassionate witness that allows you to have a pause between noticing what's coming up for you and responding to it. So in other words, the idea is not to get attached to whatever's arising in your experience, to allow it to arise. And that could be, ah, I'm exhausted or, ah, I've, you know, I'm fried. I'm at my, you know, my limit. My head feels like it's on fire. Yeah. Having moments of mindful awareness, I think throughout the day can can go a long way to creating some separation and some disconnect, intentional disconnection or non-attachment. Because over time, if we're not aware, like it it starts to express itself as chronic fatigue or chronic stress or illness or, you know, suppressed immunity, those kinds of things. I want to build on that, but I also want to put this into the context of something that you said a little bit earlier, which is that we do this as therapists. This is just kind of the way that we're trained to be. How should we be training therapists differently to where it's not getting to the point where it's this chronic stress or this, you know, this is leading to the burnout, but I I'm hearing from you in something that I haven't put together from our other guests until just now, but there's really an opportunity here to, talk about how we train therapists differently to be more mindful from from the beginning of their careers. I love that. I, I really do. You know, I think this, uh, it, it goes hand in hand, I, I think, with our culture where we privilege productivity over everything else. You know, we even think about the internship or the schooling process as you just have to slog your way through it without, you know, and, and we might give a, a, a nod, a passing nod to, oh, yeah, and self-care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you can, you know, just have some green juice or take that yoga class. It's, it's not enough. It's not enough. And when you think about the mental load, you know, Katie, we, we've had lots of discussions about this in terms of the complexity of being business owners as well. Uh, I think the complexity of modern life and digital life, there's this, this overconsumption of, of stimulus happening all the time. It's like we're, we're frogs sitting in that boiling pot of water, just simply taking it in, taking it in without having that self-awareness that A, it's not good for us, right? The diet of, as therapists, even the, just the, on, uh, the onslaught of, of information that we're carrying all the time. But also I think there's a naivete that it's 
just cognitive overload when it's also physiological overload. And so it I would be amazing. Right? If, if, <laughs> at the beginning, they said, wow, you know, this, you've, you've got to make a practice, some kind of practice of developing some self-awareness. You know, and it's interesting too. I mean, I use mindfulness with countertransference as well. When I'm noticing, oh, I'm getting really triggered here or I can't sleep. You know, I just had a hardcore traumatic intake and I'm trying to hold it all. That's information for me that, that there's, there's, more, there's more discernment and separation that I need to do so that I'm not, I'm, I'm not absorbing it to the degree that I am. I think when I've talked to folks about that separation or protecting against, for me, it's not the mental load. And although I think I need to integrate that concept because I think it really hit something very important. But when I'm talking about how to avoid vicarious trauma or the compassion fatigue or those types of things, even with my clients who are very sensitive and are responding to all the, the traumas and the triggers around them, I find that when I'm talking to all of the people around the traumas and triggers that they've heard or the things that they're experiencing, there's part of it that feels very unfeeling, disconnected. Like you even use the word disconnect where it's like, if I'm not compassionate and empathic and in the moment, so connected to the other emotions, so responsible for the feeling in the room, I think a lot of therapists and individuals feels like it's becoming cold and I, I think it's not, and I express that it's not, it's, you know, you don't want to be crying and, and frowning and just taking in all of the emotional energy from your clients or your friends who are, are expressing these things. You want to remain more neutral and receptive and observant, but there's, there's a piece of that interconnection of, you know, well, with our friends, it's okay, we cry together, but I think it's that piece of that interconnection that stills there, but it doesn't so negatively impact or so deeply impact us emotionally. I don't know. I, I feel like I've kind of gone off on a tangent, but, but what are your thoughts about that? Because I think that there's, there's that kind of Zen piece of like, we were disconnected from our emotions that can feel very cold for folks, but I think it is a really helpful concept and it's not disconnecting and maybe it's how I explain it and maybe you can help me explain it better. So are you saying in session to disconnect or are you saying out, outside of your session? I'm saying like in the moment, staying grounded and, and a little bit more neutral so that it's not so impactful in the room and I can still maintain the emotional space. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. 
And I think that I have a question on this too that I think fits here as well because you've been doing this for a while. Like you're good at this. This is something where I, I don't think that you have to put mental load onto your plate of mental load. Like you're, <laughs> you're, you're Zen. You're, you're, you've got this kind of in your flow. And I think that, you know, as a field, what we talk about is we talk about this in terms of avoidance, like avoid being burned out, avoid that vicarious trauma. How do we make this more into like, in the midst of a session, you know, I'm avoiding having this reaction to a client. How do we get to that non-judgmental aspect more naturally and make this in more of a, I'm not doing this to avoid bad feelings or avoid countertransference, but I'm doing this as the best way for me to work through this is by being mindful. Okay, both great questions. Uh, <laughs> so, Katie, to, to your first question, I see it more as attunement and being present with what's what's happening in the room. It's not so much a lack of of empathy or emotional overload, but if if you're not able to stay regulated in the room, you you especially with a couple, you cannot help them regulate. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. you know, in, in certain types of modalities, EFT or Gottman work, you're the regulator, right? You're regulating their autonomic nervous system, right? You're there to help them calm down a little bit, a yeah. allow for, right? Allow, allow for conflict and disruption to happen in the room where it often doesn't happen in the same way with an individual. But so it's really, really important to stay grounded. And it's not that you don't lack empathy or can't have an authentic uh, emotional response because sometimes the, the information is really, really painful in terms of what comes up. So mindfulness is not so much a, a practice in avoidance. It's, it's allowance. But it, when, you, when you have that perspective that you're allowing, not suppressing, and you're treating yourself with compassion and non-judgment, the key piece is that you don't over-identify with what's happening emotionally in the moment. And I would say that's that's the secret sauce there. So, or the, the sort of the, the key there is that the when you allow it, when you give it space, and this is true therapeutically, as we know, yeah. right? It's easier for, for that emotional feeling state to pass, or even that thought to pass, or even that bodily sensation to pass. But having that, that I want to say a pause, right, between the trigger and the response. And usually we just knee-jerk react. We emotionally react instead of knowing that we have a choice to be responsive. And so I think that's why mindfulness practice is so incredibly powerful, not just as therapists, but also something to share with your clients so they can learn to be more responsive versus reactive when they have their own overwhelmed from their mental loads or they're feeling super triggered in the moment. And kind of helping to build on this. Let's take this from theory to kind of practical. How do people become aware of, of all of this stuff as it's happening? You know, what are some tips that you might have as far as being able to move into that attunement and do it non-judgmentally? I personally, again, I'm a little biased here, but I think a, a even a short meditation practice in the morning uh, is is a great time. Let's say after you've got the kids to school uh, and you have a, a moment of quiet to do even 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes just of Vipassana 
exercise, uh, type of meditation. So, I mean, there's many different types of meditation and there's apps and there's all kinds of wonderful ways to be able to check in with yourself. And the breathing helps you downregulate. It helps you kind of just drop in and to just notice what's coming up for you. Because it, going back to the mental load, just in our personal lives, it can be a lot. You've mm-hmm. got your household to run, you've got your relationships to manage. And this is something I think because we're therapists and we've always got that therapist hat on, whether it's your primary relationship, whether you're dating, whether you've got kids, psychoanalyzing things, what can I do better? How can I manage better? So in addition to the minutia of the million things that we have to do as therapists, business people, and just running our regular lives, I kind of go back to that idea of we're also carrying the mental load of relationships that even if we're not directly responsible, we're aware of. And that's hard to turn off. It's really hard to turn off. So I would just say, just start with noticing that you're doing it. So even if you know better than to call your sister because you're feeling codependent about something (laughs) that came up around family dinner last week and you know enough, okay, I'm not, you know, don't text, don't pick up the phone. Still in your mind, you're thinking about that. So I would just, sometimes I say, just close the door. I'm not going to go there. I'm making an intentional decision to, to not do that. Uh, and to be really consistent about it. And you know, I, I love the Chinese proverb of you should meditate for 30 minutes every day unless you're too busy, and then you should meditate for an hour. Uh, <laughs> you can. Just really creating that space and really also modeling for our clients that this is the way that we help regulate ourselves. Absolutely. And, and I guess the stress piece, which you guys have spoken uh, at length about, the jury isn't out, uh, is, isn't out on that. I mean, we know that it has, it has such profoundly negative effects on our, our bodies, our psyches, uh, in, in terms of our immunity, uh, our longevity, uh, in terms of, gosh, so many things. And so I think we're so, what's the word? I, I think we, we're not paying attention. We, we somehow we've acclimated like this is life in the digital age. This just kind of is what it is. And you, no one else is making a big stink about this. You know, if I'm, if I'm on my iPhone or on Netflix or on my computer all day long, well, that's just the world that we live in. And I think that's dangerous. I think it's really pernicious. And Oftentimes, it isn't until you get really sick or something happens where you wake up and realize, hey, I, I need to make some, some big changes. And, you know, they say an ounce of prevention is worth a, is it a pound of cure. Right. Yes. But, but I think as just, it's human nature not to, to think preventatively until, of course, even as therapists, right? Yes. We think preventatively until, okay, wow, something's really derailed us. And as you're talking, I keep thinking about a busy day recently where I was, I had packed the day too full. And I think that's part of this busyness. I also in between sessions was quickly hopping on my email and I knew all of these things were bad. I knew that I was, but it was, I was in this space of just mindlessly kind of being there and I needed to stop and and take a mindful moment. But I recognized that by jumping from meeting to meeting to meeting, I was carrying stuff with me into the next meeting, into the next session. It required a lot of intervention to myself in the moment of taking breaths while I'm with my client to refocus. And I think part of it is that we have this technology that we have constant access to. 
and not a habit of slowing down and having moments that are not filled with anything. Because I recognize that my my instinct when I have a moment, like I finish session, I've got my five to 10 minutes, depending on how good I was with my 50-minute hour, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I have so many emails. I have some voicemails. I have, I, I posted something on Facebook. Is it going to, are people going to like it? And I, I realized that I, when I don't succumb to the checking and the, the, the responding, at first there's that anxiety because it's almost like addiction, right? But yeah. then I recognize that I'm able to ground myself more. And if I go over and do like legs up the wall or I, or I, you know, do a forward bend or I do some breathing or whatever it is, I enter the next session so much better, but it's hard in the moment because of the pace and because of how quickly we are supposed to move and how much we're supposed to be able to balance at the same time. And I think as a society, the mental load is so high because we are supposed to be so plugged in and we're supposed to be so available to all the people in our lives. We have so much information. I think you and I talked about like, you know, all of this stuff with the New York Times. I just got my New York Times, you know, subscription and I'm like, oh, I'm constantly on and there's like notification, something horrible happened in the world. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, and it's, it's hard to, to say, hey, wait a second. I don't, I need to be informed. As a therapist, I have to be informed. I think there's things therapists need to know, but I don't need to be this informed. I don't need to know what the trending meme is. I don't need to know every single incident in the world. I don't need to know that. I need to have enough of a space and enough of a, a breath to be able to be present and not carry all of this stuff in my brain and have it swirl around and have difficulty focusing. So yeah, just kind of a revelation as we were talking that that just the practices of living life can either increase or decrease our mental load if we allow it. Totally, totally. And another another piece of this is I think we're becoming progressively as a society more fragmented, more avoidant. Look what's happening in the dating world. All, all the ghosting and the, and the icing and the avoidance. And it's always interesting to me, you know, looking at, let's say, even the hookup culture, <laughs> the hookup culture or, or the dating culture, like, how are you supposed to get to, I can't even, I'm afraid to meet with you in person or even look you eye to eye to, I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that we're also seeing, in addition to the avoidance, the fragmentation, the, the, um, the disconnection in terms of our communication, but I also think uh, a, a lack of empathy when we're so wired and tired, it's much, much harder to be present and attuned. And, and I get these, these e emails, you know, about rituals for love. And they say, just spend two minutes of focus time a day with your partner. But that makes up, that, that's more important than, you know, a week of just fragmented talking here and there. And I think two minutes a day, is that, is that what it's boiled down to? Two men, two minutes of eyeballs on each other. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> That's sad. Like, so in other words, we're privileging Instagram or we're privileging the to-do list. We're privileging all these other things that take precedence over the quality of our relationships, which really feed us. Uh, and, and, I think we have to take a stand as, as therapists uh, and as mental health professionals in our own lives to say, okay, wait a minute, we've got to spend time regenerating uh, individually, taking care of ourselves, but we also have to be very intentional about 
our relationships outside of the therapy office as well. Two minutes a day. That just blows my mind. There's a a big part of me right now that feels glad that I'm old. Like my husband and I will have dinner every night and talk to each other. Like this is more than two minutes. Sometimes I'll see his eyes glazing over because he's tired of hearing about the mental load I'm carrying for Kurt. But I think it's something where it's, it's so surprising that two minutes is the, like, this is how you fix your relationship, folks. Spend two minutes with your partner. Oh man, that's awful. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I don't know if I'm just really good at being mindful and dealing with my mental load on the stuff that I'm carrying for Katie, or if this is just uh-huh. like dump on Kurt episode, but uh, <laughs> you, you said it first, dude. I'm not, I'm not jumping on this. We should have a session. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. You're, you're obviously very good at this. And I wonder, you know, how did you get into this? It was there a, a burnout that pushed you into like, I need to do this differently. You mean in terms of uh, mind- mindfulness or? Of living this way, because I, I don't want to even really separate that practice and and how you live are really that separate when you are so mindful in things. But I've never met somebody who's really mindful who just started that way. There's always kind of this flashbang of like, I, I got to make a change and this seems to be the best way. Well, I'm I'm the the daughter of a, a treatment resistant schizophrenic, and that absolutely was probably the inciting incident for for my own attachment injuries and my own journey towards mental health and wellness. And the daughter of a, a wonderful composer who I think was also a narcissist. So I would say that particular karmic setup didn't leave a lot of room for me to have my own needs uh, to to be attentive to my own needs and to, to be able to trust my experience or even what was happening internally for me. So not just in terms of my attachment, but I think that it, it sort of set the tone for really privileging their situation and, and their needs all the way down. And I didn't really see it come to roost until as an adult, there started to be a real pattern in, in my relationships, something I noticed. And um, I think when I had children, <laughs> the mental load piece, trying to work and have children and what a strain it, it put on my relationships. And, and this is an interesting statistic from John Gottman, 70% of couples never recover to their levels of of happiness and stability after little kids, which is a a troubling statistic. Very troubling. That's your new normal, scrambling around with work and children and just trying to maintain, but we're we're surviving, not not thriving. And the the other really disturbing statistic is, is that couples wait six years after a problem erupts before getting to therapy. So they're living with all that resentment and scrambling around, just trying to sort of, you know, somehow survive over it instead of deal with it. So I think those pieces, since I had that sort of lived experience, really drove me 
to come back to meditation, which I had learned. Uh, my dad used to take us. He was very interested in metaphysics. Like we used to spend a lot of time uh, at the self-realization center off on sunset. I learned how to do TM when I was six. <laughs> uh, but couldn't appreciate that at the time. It just felt oppressive at the time. But I came back uh, to meditation many years later uh, and was able to create a, a different relationship to it. One that I, I felt much more embodied. I wasn't trying to uh, transcend, although there's beautiful practices that can help you do that and enter some other dimensions if that's where you want to go. There was something deeply appealing about Vipassana mindfulness meditation practice for me, uh, people like Pima Chodron and Thich Nhat Hanh. And uh, I was uh, slowly but surely really able to integrate it. And it wasn't part of my therapy training at all, but I, I discovered the, that uh, the self-regulatory aspects of it and the self-awareness piece of it was so helpful. And really just in the last couple of years, I've been using it um, with, with couples work because I've, I found that most modalities don't really speak to that or they give a passing nod to it. But in, in terms of being able to downregulate when you're feeling triggered, you need something. And it's great to be able to have that to, to, as a resource. So both as a therapist, but also to share with uh, clients. Long story short. <laughs> and of course, I, lose, I flip my lid all the time. I always joke with clients, like, if you see me at Whole Foods or everyone yelling at my kids, you can just walk right by. <laughs> and I think that's the human aspect. I, I appreciate your sharing with us what brought you to your meditation practice and or back to your meditation practice, because I think it's something that it can feel very overwhelming to take these things on both as a therapist and as a client. And I think being able to be really authentic in the process and say, these are tools to help. These are things that I found, but I'm a human being. I have a client who I've been slowly but surely getting more into meditation. And, and you know, I, I mentioned to her Ashley's episode, Ashley Graber's episode on, on mindfulness and, and kind of this idea that we are all human and this is a process. This is not something that you are going to ever perfect. And the whole process is the coming back to the present moment. And I think it, it's so helpful to have that authenticity and that reality there because you know, even in the way Kurt phrased the questions, it's like, how do we do this? Like, this is so hard. And, and, I think it's it's something where being able to to understand that we all have our our journeys there and find whatever is going to make somebody be able to better manage this mental load to better manage all the emotions that we have. I think it's so critical because it's it's therapists are are leaving the profession because of of this, mm-hmm. and so being able to help them with specific strategies is part of what Kurt and I are doing with the survival guide. But I think it's it's this this idea of being able to say, hey, you don't have to pretend like it's okay. You don't have to do what society says and say like, okay, this is just, this is the new normal. We can step back. We can slow down. We can treat ourselves better. Absolutely. And, and I think it goes back to this idea of uh, economy of effort. A lot of us are, are so over-focused on that to-do list uh, as you know, as, as working adults, as working professionals, we, we sort of think, okay, I had a good day if I got everything off my to-do list, the clients, and I'm, I'm up to date on my notes and the billing, and then I've somehow figured out something for dinner <laughs> that's possible, <laughs> you yep. know, those kinds of things. And 
life shouldn't be reduced to that to-do list. It's it's really the the how, the consciousness that we're imbuing in, in what we're doing, not the fact that we're getting it all done. And I really feel sort of the meta piece here, right, is is that we're losing that. It's that the consciousness, of course, you know, we're trained to to bring uh, our our authentic selves into practice. But I think sometimes, and back to, back to how the mental load affects the other pieces, sometimes we give short shrift to ourselves and the other parts of our lives when we're not in the office giving 100%. And so that's an interesting uh, line for, for us as clinicians to think, okay, you know what? So I'm, I'm going to give my clients everything, but I've got nothing to give to my partner or nothing to give to my kids. Like that's another way of knowing you're really, or, or I don't, I know so many, uh, so many therapists who just don't exercise at all. And I think, you know, that's, that's troubling. Yeah. I don't have time. That's, it's always that I don't have time. So the, maybe the question is, well, what's important? What are you making time for? And the choices that, that we're making really will impact us profoundly in, in the long term. Uh, but it's the consciousness. That's, that's what's most interesting to me. So thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom today. And uh, always great to have things. I think Katie and I both had our own individual breakthroughs as far as this goes. <laughs> yes, uh, thank you. Uh, but you know, I, I'm really taking away from this of practice your mindfulness, practice your meditation, recognize when you're when you're in your place, recognize when you are disowned. Oh, oh dear, disowned. Yes. Oh, Kurt. <laughs> and how, how long were you working on that, Kurt? Because I think you were not mindfully paying attention to <laughs> episode if you were thinking disowned. So, Shira, where can people find out more about you? Ah, well, you can look on my uh, website, uh, shiramyrotherapy.com. We also have blogs on yalestreettherapy.com. And uh, I, I post uh, not as regularly as I should on Instagram, at shiramyrolmft. And I also write for Goop um, periodically. And you can check out Shiramyro, Google Shiramyro and Goop, and you'll see some other interesting articles on different subjects. And uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. This was a real pleasure to chat with you. And we will include links to all of that in our show notes. You can find those at mtsgpodcast.com. And while you're there, check out our Therapy Reimagined 2019 conference here in Los Angeles, October 18th and 19th. We have our call for speakers out. So sign up, throw in an application if you've got something that you want to share with our Modern Therapist community and join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy and Shira Myro. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months.